fourth watch starts now. Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on The Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight, we're going to be discussing the life events of a woman who is demon-possessed. I just got home from traveling to California to take part in a deliverance session with a woman and one of her brothers. Tonight is a Fourth Watch exclusive as we'll be talking to both brothers about what has led up to this extreme case of demonic possession, as well as coverage of my California trip. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of the Fourth Watch Radio Network, I call this episode Paranormal Case Files, Republic of California. Really quickly, I want to go ahead and remind everyone that we're now partnered up and broadcast on the freedomreport.us. That's the freedomreport.us. Be sure to check it out and even set it as your homepage so you can always be in the loop with what's going on in the world and our culture with a fresh perspective. Now tonight we'll be getting into a topic that's close to the hearts of two brothers we're going to be talking with. We'll be going through some background information and leading our way up to the current situation. For the sake of identity protection, we'll only be using the first names. So let's go ahead and go to the line with Randy and Doug. Hey guys, welcome to the Fourth Watch. How are you tonight? Doing Hi great. Justin. Hi Justin, we're doing fine. Now, we want to kind of take things back to the beginning, and we're going to get to a certain part of the show, and I'll, I'll talk about what happened when I was in California but we want to go back to some of the earliest incidents, we'll call them, involving your sister. So you guys, I don't know who wants to go first, but let's just take us all back to the beginning, where this all began. Um, Randy, I think uh, you probably have some things to, to say uh, about our sister in the earlier ages. Uh, I probably know a little bit of information few years later, but I think maybe in the 11-year, 12-year-old area, you would probably be best. Yes. Uh, yeah, I was, at that particular point, I was away at college. There's about eight years difference in age between my sister and I. She's eight years younger than I. But I just want to preface it by saying that when she was young, a little girl, she was the sweetest, you know, sister you could ever imagine. She was just wonderful, pleasing, always wanting to go out of her way to do what she could could for the rest of us kids. And, you know, she wasn't really argumentative. She just kind of went with the flow. And then, uh, you know, come to, I don't know, somewhere in 1972, 73, I went off to college. And uh, after my first year, uh, well, I became born again during that time and then came back home. And um, I just remember having a conversation with her in the living room when she had a friend over there and she was boasting and talking about, how she had, you know, been getting involved in Ouija boards and uh, uh, seances and calling up, a, you know, a family member in particular and then also a friend uh, that went to high school with me. And so she conjured up these 
individuals. Of course, they weren't, they weren't really them. They were, you know, demons masquerading as these, this family member and this friend. And then she also talked about doing astral projection. Her, her and her friend were involved in that. I, I told her that was evil and to stay away from it. But of course, she was just determined to do what she wanted to do and kept pursuing those, those things. But, you know, I, I just, I always reflected back on those times because when I watched the uh, downhill spiral of her life, I knew that that's where the beginnings were. She also was involved in, um, in drugs. It started off with pot and then eventually, eventually as years went on, she got into a lot of other things, which I think Doug, you can talk about because when I was away, you were still there and you had a lot more contact her with her than I did. So why don't you, uh, Go ahead and take it from there, and then we'll I'll, I'll interject things as I see fit. Okay. Uh, anyway, both Randy and I are in our later fifties. I, I think Randy's in his early sixties now. <laughs> but um, <laughs> thanks, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going back a lot of years, uh, trying to uh, you know remember all these things, and it's still going on today. Uh, you know, my sister is five years. Uh, well, four years younger than I am and uh, eight years younger than than Randy. Um, but uh, I was around her a lot more in the earlier days. And uh, and yes, um, uh, when she was probably uh, 15 or or something like that, 14 or 15 at that time, uh, she had approached me that she had been uh, uh you know, summoning up uh, dead family members and um, also the the particular person that Randy is talking about from high school who had died in a car accident. And Randy at that time uh, was born again. um, And uh, I wasn't I wasn't there yet. I mean, we had a pretty protective um, childhood. Uh, You know, we lived in a small, small community community. Uh, I, I mean, a long way away from even a small city of 50,000, 60,000 people. I mean, that's how tiny we were. And so we didn't, um, we didn't grow up in, in er- areas where we saw a whole lot of, uh, uh, activities like this. We, you know, didn't really hear about them. Um, Randy, maybe more so than I, uh, I mean, to me, Ouija board was just something silly and stupid and, you know, summoning up the uh, dead to me was, again, something silly. So I really didn't pay much attention to it. Uh, um, however, that's when everything seemed to really, really start going downhill for her. Uh, she was doing that and she was doing drawings and and uh, some sort of uh, very, very strange writings uh, very spaced out. I, I don't even remember them. I remember reading a couple of her writings, and and it, it was just too far fetched for me. Um, maybe Randy can elaborate a little bit more on that. I don't know. Well, it was more. Uh, it was that's what you'd call automatic writing today. And I don't remember the content of it back then, but it was definitely from the demonic realm and stuff that you you wouldn't hear in an everyday conversation. And even people that do, you know, do writing and poetry and things like this, you know, this, this is, this is stuff in the dark realms in the dark world. It wasn't stuff that you'd see or read 
you know, and with somebody, you know, having general conversations or writing down their thoughts. It was definitely from the dark realms. Now, I, I just want to interject something really quick here. One of the first things that you brought to my attention, Randy, when you first contacted me was that you had a collection of, of these automatic writings and drawings that, that she had made later in life. And yeah. we're talking about a woman here who has never been to school for this stuff. She, she doesn't have a, a professional education involving mythology or historical demonic entities. Uh, she's not awake to the conspiracy crowd the way that we are. You know, we know the information that, that's available. And here she is drawing pictures of what looks like a reptilian, a reptilian human. And yeah. I've got I've got some of the photos that I took of her automatic drawings and writings. There were some very strange verbiage used, and there were even some of the words, some of the names. Uh, they they ring very close to ancient demonic entities, which we wouldn't even know without doing research. And here we are, all three of us. On the line right now, we've done research. We're, we're very familiar with a lot of what's going on. But when I looked at these names, I, I didn't know the names, but I knew in my spirit that they were demonic. And you had done some looking into that, Randy. And, yeah. and do you want to tell us? I don't want to jump too far ahead. We'll get back. But since we're on the topic of the automatic writing, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you found? Well, yeah, this was, these were recent writings that she spent some time in a mental hospital and, um, these were left behind and I got it. They had, they had sent them to me when she had moved out of there. Uh, but there was one that was cut out like a card. I mean, like a, you know, a greeting card or something you send somebody. She actually did it by hand using paper and construction paper. And, and it was actually cut out in the shape of Apollo's temple. I, I did a, some searches online. And she actually used the word Apollo. She didn't spell it right, but she, you know, she, of course she didn't have, she didn't complete her high school education, so her her grammar and spelling and writing capacity is very basic. But she wrote Apollo uh, on there, and of course Apollo is, is another name for Apollyon and Nimrod or something. It was either Nimrod or Tammuz, I can't remember. But anyway, of course, it's known that Apollo's birthday is December twenty fifth, so or Nimrod's birthday is December twenty fifth. Anyway. Um, so she she actually used some words that I didn't know on that uh, on that card she wrote. Uh, uh, one was sensual, and I looked that one up in, in an urban dictionary, which means quite satisfying and, and acceptable. Another word was mercation. I couldn't find that word, but I found something close to it, which is mercatus, uh, which uh, has to do with a, for, a fourth declension, uh, trade, traffic, buying and selling, marketplace. Festival assemblage, public feast, and uh, you know I didn't do much more research than that, but I found that quite interesting. Another word was delion, D-E-L-I-O-N, and um, the closest thing I could come to that was Ponce de Leon, and um, you know he's one of the explorers that came to Florida uh, back in 1513, I believe. And some, you can, you can do some more research on that, but I found that pretty interesting regarding considering, uh, she also had the word America in there. Of course, it, now there were no sentences in this, in this piece of writing she did. It was all just words scattered here and there. Um, but she used the word America and she used, the um, Meridia. There's also a video game called Meridia and that's an occult video game. And 
I have some writings as far as what that means, but I'm not going to, for sake of time, I'm not going to go into that right now. Well, let me, let me interject something real quick. And I don't want to assume anything here. It's hard sometimes when we talk about certain topics, it's hard not to make assumptions, but there, I believe that there's some kind of a code written in there somehow. And yeah. I, I don't think we understand the, the whole gist of it, but we definitely know that there's direct connections with Apollyon and Satan and the Antichrist. Now, we take that and then we look into the marketplace, buying and selling, public feasts. Um, it, it's interesting because when you, when you consider that, the Antichrist is going to be setting up a system and you've got to have his mark in order to buy and sell. Or to, or to even partake in a public feast or a public celebration. You're not going to be accepted socially without the mark of the beast. And then you have this other scenario. You have this reptilian. And I, I really, I try to use that word lightly because I think most of our listeners are pretty much awake to what a reptilian is. Uh, and for those, if there's any new listeners listening right now, we don't have time to go into it. But when I use the word reptilian, I'm speaking directly of the hybrid creatures it's a hybrid race, takes us back to Genesis chapter 6, when the sons of God had sex with the daughters of men, and the Nephilim were born, the giants. So I believe the when I say reptilian, that's what I'm referring to. But we have these pictures surfacing, and these pictures are actually directly connected with some of the ancient pictures that we see in the cave paintings, and it, it's what appears to be a reptile on two legs, almost like a T-Rex, but it's, it's a human, it's a hybrid. So I just thought it was very strange and peculiar that all these things were kind of meshed together in this, we'll just call it this, this work of automatic writing. I got to be careful because some people are going to say, oh, well, it's a work of art. No, it's not. It's demonic. So I was blown away when I actually got to see it. And later on in the story, when we showed this particular cutout automatic writing, when we took it with us to the deliverance session, the, the two other women that we met, they were just absolutely floored by this. They didn't know what to make of it. It threw them. I mean, their, their faces lit up when they saw this. I just wanted to add that our sister has been doing this automatic writing for many, many years. I mean, the times that I knew her and spent time with her, she was, um, she was continually doing these very strange things. I had no idea and I didn't care, uh, to look at it because I just thought it was, strange stuff from from her drug addiction i didn't really put the the two and two together but now i know after knowing you know what the demon world is and they are real and they are in people and they attach themselves she's been attached all these years of folks that's 50 years of demonic possession and this is where it led though This, this is we're dealing now with some of her her work her automatic writing and drawing we're dealing with something that's within the past, what, four or five years? Actually, this the, what I have is recent, but she's been doing this for probably 40 years or, or so or more. Uh, her mother had saved some of them. I don't think she has them any, any longer, but uh, there was there was dozens of these things that she would write. She would actually write letters, too, and have, have a lot of this, these automatic writing statements in them. And uh, she even had one, I recall, which she just actually started scribbling you know, circles and just different uh, lines on a page, with, you know, without lifting the pencil. She just did a bunch of squiggle marks all over. So you, all you saw was this mass tanglement of lines. And uh, actually, when you stood back and looked at it, you could see demonic figures in that uh, in that 
design that she had done while the same thing as automatic writing is it just it wasn't it wasn't words but it was just some kind of a messaging pictorial pictograph thing where she's just mindlessly you know letting her pencil move and then it comes up with these strange demonic figures and that just things like that i mean we go on and on but you know know, what i'd really like to do and i know that uh we we don't have the means to do this currently and I know most people listening are going to say, oh, you need to get rid of that stuff right now. You need to burn it, get rid of it, rebuke it and burn it. And, and that's that's good. We do. But I, I'm really curious. I, I'm, and maybe maybe this is just the uh, the investigator in me. But I'd like to be able to take these writings and get them in the hands of somebody who is who's involved in, in coding. Uh, somebody who's got, you know, maybe a professor at a university, because I think that there's stuff in these that. And again, this is all speculation, but I think there might be some information in here that might help us get to the root of what's really going on here. Um, and, and dealing with, we know we're dealing with multiple demons. We know we're dealing with, uh, as, as we all know, she has been uh, clinically diagnosed with schizophrenia. And if you've done any research into that, folks listening, schizophrenia is a medical term for multiple demons. And I know I'm going to catch some flack for saying that, but I've said it before and I really don't care. Because we're not here to make friends. We're here to expose the works of the enemy. But we want their sister to get true total deliverance. And I think that getting to the root of this might help us get more information on how to attack. Yeah, I agree. And perhaps there's even some listeners who might have some resources they can pass on to us. But now let's go ahead and move on. Um, Doug, you were, uh, I, I, again, I apologize for jumping right in, uh, but this is just such a hot topic and it's it's a rare occasion to be able to have a sit down, like I said earlier, with two family members who have lived through this. Well, at the time, our sister was uh, maybe 14 years old, and uh, and then uh, she ran away from home. Um, she uh, found somebody that was a few years older than her, and they hitched up, and uh, and they just disappeared for a week. Um, Dad didn't know where she was. Uh, uh, Mom, they were both frantic, frantically worried, and. Uh, and uh, this has been after several episodes with her where she had run off for a few days and I had to go chase her down at uh, a boyfriend's house where, you know, even when she was 13, um, you know, I, I had to uh, lift the young naked boy off her body. Um, and so it, she had been in a lot of trouble and she was very rebellious. She just like it was just like she switched overnight. Um, you know, I call her Sister Thirteen. When when her demons are calmed down or hidden from her, you know, she's she's a different person. She's like she was when she was thirteen, young and immature. Uh, but with the demons in her, it's like she's old and immature um, today. Uh, but you know, so she had always been a problem. Um, after she became a teenager, she just become very rebellious and involved in drugs and uh, with some really bad people. Um, so anyway, uh, when she was 14, she decided to run away, and uh, and my dad had finally had enough and 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 just and just told the man, "She's your business now." And so they went out uh, and got married, got a quick marriage, and. Uh, that was the end of her school days. Um, and then uh, after that, then she started again hanging around with bad people. 
um, her, her husband was very worried about her, she would again leave for weeks at a time, uh, go hang around bad people. Who knows what they were doing? Um, but, uh, he was frantic, uh, uh, but then, you know, a year later they have a child and she's, after the child is born, she's doing the same thing. She's out, uh, partying and, uh, real quick, the, the guy she married. Now, did I, did I hear while I was in California that he was involved in Scientology? Yeah. His, his, his family background, Scientology. And so, you know, you know, I had some several discussions with him on that topic and, he uh, he he pretty much held to that belief system, and I, I tried to share him the true gospel, and I don't and he was just wasn't open to it at that time. It's, it's been too ingrained in him. So uh, yeah, it came it came from his family, and I don't know what he believes today, but at least that's what it was back then. And what's interesting about that is when you get into the Scientology realm, and I'm I'm going to be doing a show getting deeper into Scientology. There's a lot of hidden things about Scientology that most people don't know on the surface, but they are involved in different practices of channeling and it's very new age they're channeling these these aliens is what they call them these these uh, extraterrestrials which we all know that they're they're channeling demons and they're they're being lied to but what's interesting is that it's it's no secret that that holly was having sex with her husband i mean they had a child so you know i said the s word but (laughs) um when you have sex with somebody the bible talks about the spiritual union two become one and your sister was already bringing into the table some some major demonic practices that had allowed herself to be possessed at a young age. And then her husband comes from a background of, we're just going to say channeling aliens, because that's that's generally, that's the basis of that religion. And what's happening is when they come together, those demons are having a party and they're merging. So she's getting attached with the demons that he's got. He's getting attached with the demons that she's got. Just wanted to throw that out there. I agree uh, exactly with what you're saying. All of a sudden, I started becoming very concerned with my sister, with him, and started trying to talk to them. All of a sudden, my sister uh, said she had this job, and it pays really well in tips. She was going to be doing some bartending. And at first, um, you know, I oh, okay, well, that's that's good. And she started leaving, uh, you know, five, six o'clock in the evening and not returning back home until the next morning. And then all of a sudden her outfit started to change where she was leaving in hot pants and nylons and high heels and rabbit fur coats. And, you know, it was obvious what was going on. And all of a sudden, she was showing up with uh, $1,000 tip nights. My brother-in-law didn't catch on right away. One of my acquaintances that uh, also knew my sister had uh, told me what what was going on, that she was uh, prostituting. That just goes right back to what I was talking about, the the act of sex right there. You're, you're connecting with all the demonic attachments that that person has. And so we're seeing a snowball effect, literally a snowball effect from the time she was in her preteens or her young teens. We're seeing the snowball effect and she had already initiated with the, with the demonic realm when she started playing the Ouija board and she started her seances. 
And then it just started to grow. You know, she, she got involved with her husband who had a Scientology background. And then now she's out. Well, then she started to go out with these, these random people that we, we don't even know what they were involved in, but we do know in California at that time, the Church of Satan was getting really popular. And I did a show on Hollywood a while back. Hollywood was the epicenter of cults at one point in the, in history. And I think it, I think it started back around the thirties. I forget the exact date, but. All of these different New Age cults and religions and variations were popping up all over California, but specifically, Hollywood was a main center, and they were shipping out their materials all over the state, all over the U.S., so it's very possible that she got involved with some pretty pretty strange people in the mix of all this, which just put her further and further down the line of being just totally overflown with demons. Well, her her drug activity started started going way up you could tell she was on drugs uh i mean you know heavy drugs you know like the crystal methane and stuff like that but you could tell her her activity was daily um she had all this extra money and um anyway you could tell what was going on you mentioned that you had gone camping with them and you even mentioned uh, sometimes it was several weeks or the you went camping for a summer. Did you ever notice anything out of, out of the ordinary? Because obviously she's, you know, your sister was taken away from the city life. She was taken away from her contacts and, and the things that she would do in the city. Did you ever notice anything strange going on out there? You know, uh, when we were spending a lot of time out camping, that was probably, you know, probably the best times uh, for her because she was out there as well. But there were times where uh, she wouldn't be out there and she'd be gone all night or whatever. Um, you know, and I mean, we're talking, you know, 20 miles out in the middle of nowhere down some gravel road where we were camping at. And so, so she would disappear. Yeah. Out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Well, I'd like to just interject here. Um, of course I was, you know, I, I never lived near them. I was, you know, a few hundred miles away. So I just go up, we, you know, the family would go up and visit on the holidays. But one thing I want to say is that, that when we'd have these holiday get togethers, that her spirit and her personality would just destroy the event, whatever it would be, whether it be the Christmas holiday or, or Thanksgiving, whatever. She'd, she'd come in, you know, and come and go and, and in, in her, all, all her attire. And this has happened every holiday, and so it was. It was this just caused so much turmoil. I, I just want to say it was in in our family, from about you know seventy three on. It's it's been like living hell. It's been it's like our our family is is uh, been invaded by demons, and just it's amazing that one person could cause so much destruction. Uh, we won't go into a lot of details, but it was just a horrible effect on our family. And one, I wanted to bring up a couple things. Um, not only the automatic writing, but I, I noticed one time in particular, she, she was over there at the parents' house and, uh, she was sitting in, in the corner against the wall and she was squatted down and, and, and her face was doing all kinds of contortions. She, her body was doing weird, weird, uh, you know, maneuvers and, and her eyes looked strange, you know, and I could tell at that point, of course, you know, again, I didn't have a lot of experience with demons, but I, 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 in my mind, in my heart, I, I thought that there was a demon there, at least one demon in there manifesting itself. And so 
you know, it was not only that, but, you know, she'd have, you know, her eyes looked strange and she, she would talk to herself and she wasn't talking to herself. In my opinion, she was talking to the demons. She would say things. And, uh, we even, even during this turmoil, this particular time, I, I had a talk with my dad and said, you know, I'd like to contact a minister and see if he could come out. I, I believe that she has demons. See if we can come, have him come out and deliver. And he agreed to it. You know, I mean, mom and dad both didn't, weren't really convinced it was demons. They thought it was just, uh, probably some kind of a psychological mental situation from all the drugs she was using. But I contacted a minister and he actually came out and, of course, like other times, Holly disappeared and we, she wasn't anywhere to be found. And so anyway, he, he, we had a long discussion. He prayed with us and, you know, especially my dad, you know, my, my parents were going through the most of the, of the ordeal, ordeal and the stress from the situation. So I, the way the demons work is they, they try to be hidden. They don't want people to discover them. And so what they'll do is if there's any strong Christian believers that are, that are awake and spirit filled, uh, they will, you know, cause her to disappear so that, you know, so that there's nothing can be done to deliver her from the demons. You know, I, I think this particular pastor was equipped to do it. It's just, uh, at that particular time, you know, the demons knew what was up and they just split the scene. And I think that's, that's kind of a, that typical for demons. You know, they want to remain hidden. And they want to keep their house. They don't want to leave. They want to be able to stay there. And that's been pretty much the course of her life. And that was like, what, 25 years ago or so, you know. Now, it wasn't until recently that she admitted that she was being demonized. That's correct? Yeah. In fact, we had a conversation. Um, actually, my brother came down here two years ago when, when, uh, I thought she was receptive to, you know, be delivered. And he came all the way over here, several miles, and flew, flew over here. And we um, met with her, um, and uh, and she was in agreement to go to a church. And so we uh, drove down there and ready to pick her up this one day. And all of a sudden, she was different. She didn't want to go. She was in a bad mood. It's like, it's like uh, another being had possessed her. And she was being subdued. And so we did finally manage to convince her. So we went, I said, you know, we went all this way. We came all this way, you know, to, you agreed to go with us to the church service. So finally we convinced her to go and we went in all the way down there and, and walked into the church service and she sat down and uh, we were there, what, maybe five minutes at the most. She was squirming and she just, it, it, she didn't want to be there at all. And she had to, she said, I have to go. I have to go. And she walked out and walked, and I, I followed her out and walked her back into the car. And, and, uh, we sat and I was trying to talk to her. And, you know, here she was, you know, talking to herself again. And her eyes looked strange and she, she wasn't herself. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, again, I didn't really have a lot of experience, not really sure how to deal with the demons myself. I felt not equipped for it. So I just kind of stayed with her for a while. And then my brother came out. We, took off we we didn't even you know fulfill our plans of going out maybe the beach and doing some things together because of the the mood she was in so we just took her home and we left and that was it and uh and then this last time um i talked to her and, and she seemed very repentant and she and she she complained about spirits bothering her and 
So I, you know, I said, well, do you want to be delivered? You know, we can, I can set you up. We can be, you can be delivered if you want it and have, have these things removed from you and, you know, get off, get off the medications and everything. You know, the Holy Spirit can clean you up and heal you, heal your mind, body and spirit. And, and uh, she agreed to it all. And uh, the story is, uh, as you know, Justin, when you came over here, that everything looked pretty good. And when we went over there and then, um, I, it, 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 uh, she seemed to do an about face, a flip, and she didn't want to follow through with it. No, real, real quick, Randy, I don't mean to interrupt, but, uh, we're going to get into that in one second. Um, okay. before we go into the story of what, what just happened this past week, can, can you give me just a little background on the mental institutions and the psych wards? Just, just so that we're kind of brought up to speed. When did this start happening? When did she get put in? Why did she get put in? Did she admit herself? Um, you know, j- just to kind of bring the story up to pace, because obviously she didn't she didn't get admitted or admit herself until later on. So if we could just get the background on that first. Yeah, she never did admit herself. She was usually it was because of the she'd appear before a judge and he would make, you know require her to go to the the uh, mental hospital. And she's uh, she's been in and out of them at least four times. I can't remember. Maybe Doug remembers how many, but she she'd. Uh, fool them into thinking she was okay and then they would release her and then she would get back on the street and and get she maybe may have been on probation she'd break her probation be thrown back into jail and then go through the same routine again and you know she'd get out and she'd you know go travel miles and miles away and people couldn't find her and it's just a vicious cycle this has been going on for 15 years better than 15 years they just pick her up put her back in jail um and then finally, they started putting her in psych wards. Uh, so that just kind of gives a little bit of history about what the, the, the final 15 years or so has been. Uh, what led up to all this is all the drug activity and the demonic activity. And like I said, um, I really didn't know exactly what demons were until probably five years ago. But I knew she was different. I knew she had demons in her. I, I can't tell you how many times I pulled her aside. I, I bawl my eyes out to her, just asking her, for the love of God, stop what you're doing. And so anyway, finally, I was raising a family of my own. I had young children, and I just couldn't. I, I had to alienate myself from her and my brother-in-law. I said, I, I can't see anymore. You can't be around me anymore. You're not getting my phone number. And so for some better than 15 years, we just had absolutely zero zero connection uh so well you know what's interesting about this is that when she was admitted into the the psychiatric wards they put her through the full evaluations and they got to see what's going on in there but unfortunately they're using their textbooks and they're diagnosing her with medical conditions when she's dealing with spiritual conditions and one of the most controversial shows that i did i got into this i believe the show was demonic infestation and i i got into the psych ward and how they're mis calculating all of these symptoms they're putting they're putting two and and five together instead of two and two together and they're coming up with this formula that well they need this drug this drug and this drug and and that's the problem and we're actually going to talk about that now um i want to and and i don't want to cut you all off if there's anything else you want to add to that you can but i want to move into what just took place this past week Uh, one thing i wanted to mention this was probably 15 years ago she uh, ended up in the hospital what happened was she looked in the mirror and she saw something, and so she, take, she took a, a knife and to her eye, trying to cut it out. And 
I knew, I put two and together, I knew that that was the demons. She was seeing the demons in the mirror. And so she, in her mind, she was, she thought by cutting it out of her eye, she'd get it out of her. Now she ended up in the hospital. She didn't lose the eye. She's severely damaged and she has vision loss in the eye today. But I, I just wanted to just let you know, I mean, there's been a lot of things like that, but that to me was a very significant one that just put the nail in the coffin about that, that she has demons in her. So, and there's, there's plenty of stories like that where, uh, these different types of demonic looking bugs, uh, and I say demonic looking cause they're not normal looking bugs. They're, some of them look like crosses between snakes and worms and roaches. And people will see these things coming up out of their throat and they'll literally try to choke themselves to get it out. And people need to understand when you're dealing with the demonic, they're going to torment people in any possible way that they can. And they have got these means and tactics that absolutely defy our logic because we're dealing with interdimensional or extra dimensional beings. So that's how they can do this. They can play with, they can play with our reality almost like Plato. They can bend it and shape it to really, uh, and people are experiencing these things and they don't know what's going on. So they think they're crazy. But now I'm going to fast forward now. Um, I received a, an email from Randy on Facebook and I guess it was actually a week or two after I did the show on demonic infestation and he had he he just filled me in on the story he sent me some pictures of some of the automatic writings and I'm going through this and I knew that this was a pretty heavy situation and I pretty much assumed that we weren't dealing with just a basic demon possession we were dealing with the equivalent of a legion or a small army or hornet's nest of demons and I got in touch with L.A. Marzulli because he's got contacts out in California and he got me set up with a particular church that he and he even told me to contact specific people at the church. So I made the call. I seemed to get things moving in the right direction. But the problem was the people who he told me to contact, the church didn't want to put me in direct contact with. They said one of them wasn't on staff. And, and I'm thinking, okay, well, it doesn't matter if they're on staff. If you know how to get in touch with them, can you put me through to them? And then they said, well, the person that, that handles these types of situations is this or that person. So they didn't, they didn't want to put me in direct contact with the people that LA recommended. And I think that was the beginning of the demonic attack on our plan of attack because we had our plan of attack. The demons had theirs and they didn't want us to, to make the right contacts. So I ended up making contact with somebody in the deliverance ministry at this particular church. And they said, yeah, come on down. So I flew down to California. And as soon as I get there, everything's great. We're having a good time. I'd had a little bit of demonic attacks on the way down there. Just some small stuff. I won't get into detail. But my spirit was in a constant battle. I can't even explain the war that was going on inside of me. And I get down there. Everything's good. Um, getting to know Randy's family. Just having a great time of fellowship. Um, and I got to say, I've never been somewhere by myself and just instantly been received in open arms. Like this is, I was reminded of the early church where the disciples would go around from town to town and they would be taken in and loved on and shown family love. And I had that as soon as I got there and I started to learn a little bit more of what was going on. And what was interesting was that, uh, one of Randy's children who lives down the street from Randy, they started to tell me that some strange things began to happen in, in their apartment and with their child. Uh, even the child was, was talking in his sleep with, with some weird, just like almost like a full conversation. Just some weird things were taking place. 
and there had been a history of of paranormal activity in that apartment and Randy's child had had rebuked the spirits and and gone through uh some cleansing prayers for the apartment but even as I got there Randy's uh Randy's child told me and I say child they're not children but I'm just trying to protect identities here um Randy's child told me that there were some strange things happening as soon as I got there it was just really awkward because things were happening and it wasn't just affecting me in my life but Randy's other child has a business and some technical issues were happening. He lost three days of work because of some things that took place. And we're seeing these demonic attacks all over the place when I got there. And we don't have time to cover all of that. But um, the day came. The day came and things were good. I had already talked to the sister and she seemed repentant. She seemed to want to be cleansed, uh, like Randy had just said a few minutes ago. So, and that was the first thing we needed to make sure she was on board because if she wasn't on board, there's no need in us even trying to take her through deliverance. I mean, there's just no need. And and if you're listening right now and you don't understand how this works, deliverance can only happen when somebody repents and when they submit to Christ. And so she had admitted that she wanted to be cleansed, that she wanted to get all this stuff behind her. And even on the phone, when I talked to her, I noticed some demonic presence because um, demons are liars. And she started to talk about how she had discovered the 11th commandment and that she even followed the 12th commandment. And we know that demons, they, they try to manipulate the word of God. They try to twist it and contort it. And that's what was happening here. And, and some people say, well, that was just a small little, a little comment. Well, I see things for what they really are. And anybody that talks about discovering a new commandment and following the 12th commandment, that's just demonic activity. They were, they were messing with her head. So we get down there and Randy and I get ready to, to make the drive down uh, it's about a two little over two hour drive to go deal with all this we get down there i had already gotten blown off by the church that we had originally talked to they didn't want to work with us directly they wanted us to have her fill out an application form for deliverance now (laughs) i'm sitting back thinking what is going on here you want a demon possessed person to apply for deliverance and i mean I'm, i'm out of my mind so uh, I get on the phone. I start making other connections. I'd set up a, a meeting. We were going to be able to use a facility with another deliverance ministry. They said, yeah, y'all can use our facility. So we get down there and the contact decides to back out on us last minute. And she's not answering my calls. She shoots me a text message and says, oh, well, something came up. I'm in a meeting. And if you guys want to come at six o'clock, you can. Now, we don't have time to waste. You know, we're on a mission here. So we're kind of standing around. Actually, we're sitting in the car in the blazing heat and we don't have anywhere to go. Everything had just been pulled out from under us. The The demonic war was just getting so heightened at this point. And so I just started kind of looking through some things online and I called this this church out of the blue. Just I, I stumbled upon this number and I left a message for the pastor and it was a detailed message. Not even five minutes later, I get a call from this guy and he says, hey, look, I'm out of town, but this sounds like it needs to be dealt with immediately. So he puts us in touch with two other deliverance ministers in their church, and they tell us that we can go over there, use their facility, and that they would have uh, two other deliverance ministers on hand for us if we needed them. So it, it just it was an act of the Lord, no question about it. So we picked up the sister. As soon as she gets in the car, she is really antsy. She wants to go out and drink. And I mean, we're talking about a total change of spirit. This is not who we talked to on the phone the other night. 
She's not wanting to go out and party and, you know, do this and do that. And we said, no, we're going to go, we're going to go to a church because we want to meet with a minister. That's how we worded it. We didn't want to go too into detail because we could tell she was already having second thoughts. So we get over to the church and we meet up with these two women. They were the, the deliverance ministers that we were connected with. And I went and prayed with them in private and then filled them in on what was going on. Randy and his sister walked up and we get into the room where we were going to go through the deliverance. And I pulled out some stuff. I pulled out some materials and I had some things on my phone that I had made notes of that I was going to bring up. I tried to start walking through to get the deliverance started. And she starts squirming around um, like really weird, like like trying to pop her bones and stuff. She started to, to try to distract us. And this is what was really strange is that the demons want to distract and they want to confuse. And she began to speak uh, some very distracting things, trying to take us on a tangent. So in the beginning, I went ahead and silenced the demons and began to start taking her through the first steps of deliverance, which was to get her to own up to what she'd been a part of. You have to own up to the sins. You have to own up to the practices. And she started to lie. She began to lie right there. As soon as she started to lie, she gave legal right back to those demons to speak through her again. And it got bad. She would start to kind of whisper like a child. And then this voice would come out of her. And it was a very deep and, and strong voice. And I know when you look at somebody who's yelling, you, you know how their face kind of tenses up when they're yelling? She didn't have that. She would be, she would speak in this bold yell, almost a yell of a voice, but her face was not tense. It was really creepy. And, um, finally we got to the point where we tried to take her through, we were going through some scriptures, trying to get her to own up to things. And she continued to lie. She got really hostile and she got up and she kind of got up near the table in our face and she began to yell in this voice again. And so finally, she's pacing back and forth. She's not listening. She's pacing and squirming, doing some weird stuff with her jaw. It was almost like her jaw was trying to dislocate and squirm around, uh, kind of like a certain snakes do when they when they try to swallow their prey. They they unlock their jaw and it starts to move around in a, in a weird fashion. She started to do that, and we started to go through uh, more of the deliverance. And she took off running out the door. And it wasn't a matter of I'm getting out of here. She literally just took up. I mean, took off. So the lady, uh, one of the ladies, went out there and tried to bring her back in, and she said she can't come back in. It was almost like there was a line drawn, and she couldn't cross the line. So both ladies went out to begin to pray with her, and they held on to her hands, and she was squirming. And Randy and I began to pray. We looked out the window, and th- this was really this was a telltale sign right here. They're both praying for her, holding on to her hands in a circle. And she's shaking. She's contorting and shaking. And she looks over at one of the ladies praying. And her eyes got real big. And she smiled ear to ear, uh, almost like a clown, like how a clown has that painted on smile. And it was this very evil and very dark look she had. And she began to laugh and mock at the lady while she was praying. And they finally got done. She jerked away from them. And she walked over to Randy's car. And they came back inside. And we began to talk and pray and proclaim the gospel she comes back and puts her head in the door with her hands on the edge of the door still not coming into the room and she began she had this look on her face she was hunched over kind of like almost like a golem and she was looking up with this horrible smile and she was mocking what we were doing and she says oh i need that i need to get that and they said well come on back in and, and we'll we'll work with you and she says no i'm not coming back in i'm not coming back in and and folks i'm leaving out a little bit of the story there's certain things i'm not going to get into but 
she began to speak in tongues. Uh, the sister began to speak in tongues and this voice. And the lady rebuked, one of the ladies rebuked her and told her that she was speaking in demonic tongues. And she says, Oh no, no, I'm not. These are, these are, this is the Holy Ghost. I got the Holy Ghost at this particular church. And she kept going and going, speaking in tongues, and she wouldn't stop. And it was really creepy. And we're, the lady was trying to speak over her, but she kept going in tongues. And I couldn't believe what was happening. I mean, this thing was manifesting. And the ladies went out to talk to her again. And they began to try to, one of the ladies commanded the demon to give its name. And the demon wouldn't give its name, and it began looking down and laughing at her, just mocking her when, when she asked for the name. And a lot of people will tell you this, in deliverance, if you do have to get to that point to ask for the name of the demon, if there's a demon in there, you have power over it, you have authority over it in Jesus Christ Yeshua. And the demon, when they don't give their name, it usually is a signal that there's not just one demon, that there's a whole bunch of them in there. And it's a hierarchy that is possessing this body. So... At that point, we, we began to regroup, and we talked about it, and we realized that we were going to have to peel the layers, and we were going to have to try to work with her and counsel her over time to get her to truly repent and to own up to what she had done. So we're going to cut that story a little short because there's a lot of stuff that I can't get into, but we get in the car to drive back, and I began to try to minister to her and try to speak directly to her in the car, and she went from a whisper into this loud beefy voice i mean this was a beefy voice very thick and she's about six inches away from my face and randy was randy was in the driver's seat he was driving and she started to admit her 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 astral projection she started to admit the ouija board she started to admit her drug addictions all of these things which she was lying about in the church she lied about all this and the voice started to yell and she started to speak of these uh, these different demonic entities that were that were oppressing her and she started to call them human names and she got well, I mean it, it was unbelievable Randy you remember this oh yes yeah um one I can't remember one was I mean they were they were human names I remember was one was Bob or something the other was like John you know so I I don't know you know if, if the demons are making up their own names but they at least that's what they were telling her that their names were so and the thing about it was she went back and she said that these demons the and she was saying she she went back and forth calling them spirits she said that they're old spirits that had dealt with her a long time ago and that they were back and tormenting her and she even went on to tell this this alternate reality of a story explaining this particular drug in the demonic realm i forget the name of it but i've got it on recording i've got her saying all this and how this drug was very dangerous and how it was being used and they were trying to force it on her. And then she admitted that she had been taking a high dose of Prozac. And she had she, she made a comment about, I haven't taken it in a couple of days or a day or so, and she took it today. And it all made sense. It all made sense because I don't believe somebody who is completely sedated on an elephant dose of Prozac or any any type of sedation drug like that at this dose their spirit is so completely suppressed that the demons have control over her. She can't fight. Her spirit can't fight because it's so heavily sedated. So what we're dealing with here is we're speaking directly with the demons and we can silence them, but they've got control over her and she won't repent. And without repentance, there's no true deliverance. So I really believe this. I believe that one of the flaws in, in the entire situation was that she came to the meeting completely sedated and we were we were it was like our hands were tied 
And the demons had total reign. It, it was, I talked to my dad when I got back in town and he agreed. He agreed that that was the scenario because we talked to her previously and she wanted to be cleansed, but our hands were tied. We got there and they had total control of her. They were manipulating her. She was doing weird contortions with her face and with this weird moving around with her shoulders, like she was trying to pop her bones out of socket. And um, that's what happens. That's what happens when things aren't set up right. She didn't, she was not in the right state of mind or spirit to be repenting. So we couldn't do anything about it. I tend to agree. Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I didn't know at the time that the, the drugs that she was taking, Prozac, you know, could suppress her spirit like that. You know, I don't really, I don't really know the, the uh, chemistry of how that all works, but I agree with, with what you said. And, and your dad said, and in fact, I talked to somebody else as a friend on Facebook uh, just today, and he agreed that the, the drugs, uh, did, did the suppressing was prevented the deliverance. Well, one thing I want to add to that, we went by the Kmart, you bought her some shoes and you got her a grocery card so she could pick up some groceries. And what was really crazy is that I'm in the car and I see her in the corner of my eye and she is walking really, I mean, power walking. I mean, it, it, she was, I mean, boldly like a warrior walking back and forth, pacing the parking lot and she, her lips were moving. She was having a conversation. She was having a heavy conversation with some, I don't know uh, if it was multiple demons, but she was having an in-depth conversation. And I looked over and I followed her around with my eyes and I saw her. She went back and forth having this conversation. Then she finally went back in the store and then you guys came out. And there was a major battle going on, major battle going on there. And they were threatening her life. She did admit to us that the demons were threatening to kill her. Uh, what was it? A couple days before we did all this? Yeah, I think I I, I texted you. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was. Uh, I think it was a couple days before you came over here. You flew over here that she had said she was she was afraid because I said are the spirits talking to her. And she said, Yeah. I said, What are they saying? She says they're telling me they're going to kill me. So I think they, you know, to me that was evidence that they they were upset. They didn't want a deliverance to occur, and they. Uh, we're going to do everything they could to threaten her, to put fear in her so she wouldn't uh, go through with it. That's my opinion. Yeah, Justin, uh, both Randy and I have witnessed Holly having a, a verbal conversation with demons, um, just to let you know. So you're not alone by seeing her having a conversation with herself. Uh, both Randy and I have seen the exact same thing. I really believe that... I believe that what took place, and, and she admitted this, and, and there's going to be people listening right now that just can't handle when I start talking about mental illness and demon possession. They've just got this thing set in their spirit. They're con- completely convinced that there's no connection. And we got proof. We got evidence. And I got it recorded because your sister, she admitted to me when I was speaking directly to her in the car. And it was short because it was spurts. Yeah, I'd talk to her for a minute and then I'd be talking to a demon. But she admitted that the Prozac made things easier on her because they calmed her down to where there wasn't a, a war going on in there. And it's not that the Prozac suppresses the demons. It's just the opposite. The Prozac suppresses her spirit to where her spirit doesn't fight and the demons have free reign. And she admitted this. She admitted this in the car. And that's coming right out of the mouth of somebody who's experiencing this. So I've said it before and I caught flack. Some people didn't like the fact that I exposed that. 
but I got it directly. I mean, this was a personal account in the car. Randy heard it. I heard it. So this is evidence. This is proof of what's going on. And the Lord gives us discernment. A lot of times we get we get strong discernment on certain situations. And I had this discernment previously, but I got to see it firsthand over in California. So, you know, and, and I got to witness the contortions. I saw her contorting around and her, her face was moving around in a weird manner. These things are all telltale signs. And I, I just I'm so grateful that you guys have woken up to the demonology and understanding demons, understanding the spiritual realm. Because to the average person, the average person that's out there who they're saved, but they don't have discernment on things in the spiritual realm and, and things of the demonic nature, they look at all this stuff as medical. Oh, well, we can deal with it medically. It's it's mental illness or it's drugs and alcohol. And the fact is, drugs and alcohol do open those doors. I've said it before. I even mentioned it on Josh Peck's The Sharpening. Certain sexual behaviors, you know, sexual perversions, pornography, drug use. Uh, abusing of alcohol, all of these things can open up doorways to demonic activity. And we've seen a life of this with your sister. She started at a young age and she began to communicate and these things have snowballed. And then she made reference back. She made reference back to these spirits coming back into her and haunting her. And she also made, she made a very interesting statement. And I'm just going to throw this out there, guys. Um, she mentioned a particular human, a person she called, I think, John. And she had had some kind of contact with this guy at some point, if it, if it even was a human. But she mentioned two humans, actually, two people who were attacking her spirit with their spirit. Now, in the realm of witchcraft, the astral projection, people who get really good in the astral projection practices, they can actually astral project and attack somebody in their sleep. Uh, this is a very high-grade uh, high practice. You don't see it in the, low, in the lower degrees of witchcraft. But when somebody's a warlock or a very seasoned black magician, this is something that we hear about constantly in witchcraft, is that somebody can astral project and attack the other person's soul. So if somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit, they can't be attacked in the astral plane. I, I hate even using this terminology, but in our area of research, we have to be educated on the practices of the New Age religions because that helps us better understand the war that we're fighting. I just think it's possible that one or two of the entities that she's dealing with might be practicing witches uh just a thought yeah i agree she she had mentioned actually uh a few weeks before you came down here that uh that some some guy had been tormenting her spirit she didn't go into a lot of details and i i just kind of listened but it, to me it was more than just a, a demon it was some some individual that she had contact with you know because she she got released from prison uh from jail um i guess about th- three weeks or a month ago and so shortly after that time she, i think she, you know she when she gets in these housing units the sort of a halfway house that they put her in then she'll be there for a while then she'll take off and leave for two or three days and she'll meet up with undesirable people so i think that's what happened she met with this person who was either practicing into witchcraft or some sort of sorcery or occult practice and, and uh, he had a maybe some kind of a hex on her or some kind of a spiritual control over her life. And so she was complaining about that quite a bit. Uh, you know, I, I'm not, you know, really well acquainted with that particular topic. You are, maybe you want to expound on that, but yeah, there was definitely some individual that was tormenting her. This is one of those things that we see constantly. Um, I like to call it the war of the witches because in witchcraft, you've got all these covens set up 
all these different practices. Uh, and as Doc Marquis and I even discussed in one show, they've even got their own brand of exorcisms where they use a higher demon to cast out a lower demon from somebody. And it's not really casting them out. It's just oppressing them. And it, it just causes a lot of, of confusion because people believe there's power in that. And there is power in that, but the power is only granted by the enemy. And his power is so limited compared to the power that we have in Christ. And I, I've said it before, and it, you know, when Yeshua died on the cross, people, and this is kind of timely because we just had Easter, and um, you know, people tend to celebrate the resurrection of Christ on Easter, even though it's really a Passover, but we're not going to get into all that. But people often blame the Jews for Jesus' death. And then you've got another group of people that says, well, Jesus, you know, Jesus was, it was a tragedy. Even Mel Gibson's uh, the, the Passion of the Christ, they, they present it as a tragedy. And let me go ahead and just, let me clear that up for everybody. First of all, it wasn't the Jews that put Jesus to death. If you want to be political about it, they pressured the Roman authority to do it. But if you want to get down to the nitty gritty, blame me. Blame yourself. Because it was our sin that put Christ on the cross. But he went into that knowing that he was going to defeat it. And so it wasn't a tragedy, it was a victory. And when Christ died and rose from the, from the grave, he defeated death. He openly made a mockery of all the principalities and demons because they knew that their time was short after that. He proved to be who he said he was. He proved to overcome death, and he did just that. And so as Christians, we have the power and the authority in Jesus Christ Yeshua to overcome all of these battles. But to touch back on what you said, because of that power, because of that authority we have in Christ, we can't be affected the way that somebody like your sister could be. Because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until that day of redemption. We are filled and we are sealed. And somebody who's not, somebody who's tampering in the black arts, the witchcraft, the Illuminati type religions, they don't have the protection that we have. And so when they lay down at night, they can be affected by somebody else in the craft. And this is very popular. There's even a lot of, ta- a lot of teachings about the silver cord. Uh, what, what the witches will do is they'll send, they'll have somebody astral project into the realm where the other person's astral projecting and they will do this ritual known as the cutting of the silver cord. And if your silver cord gets cut while you're astral projecting, you die. You're gone. Your body, your, your soul cannot reconnect with your body. That's the belief system in the witchcraft and in the black arts. So she's definitely i think she admitted to us some truth there i think that she is being attacked in the in the spiritual realm not just by demons but by other witches and she has no protection and i told her that that was one thing that i I proclaimed to her in the church i I reiterated it in the car on the way home i said you know if you want true deliverance if you want true protection because i said right now you're unprotected you have no protection whatsoever the only way you're going to be protected is to own up to what you've done own up and repent of your practices Come into the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ Yeshua. Get sealed with his Holy Spirit. That's the only protection you have. And she's looking down kind of like a little child at this point. And she's not even looking at me. She's not making uh, eye contact. And she said, well, you know, maybe another time. It's like the demons are tormenting her so bad that she's scared to try to take that step. And the other thing I want to mention about the Prozac is that when they give somebody a, a dose of this Prozac, it's a time release. And this is something I talked to you about this, Randy. Anybody that knows about time release drugs is that they have highs and lows, ups and downs. You're getting a heavier dose at this time and then it wears off and then the other, the other dose kicks in. And I think we were experiencing some of the, 
some of the the ups and downs because we had a little bit of a glimpse into the real person, what we call the 13-year-old sister. And then at other times, we were speaking directly to a, a demonic manifestation. And shortly after that, shortly after I proclaimed the gospel to her, she began to yell in this voice, this really deep voice, very strong voice. And you were driving, Randy, so you couldn't see, but her face was not even stressed. It was almost like this voice was coming out of her, but her face looked normal, which is really weird. Uh, I think to you watch football or baseball and the coach is yelling and their face is tensed up. I mean, it, it was it was a totally demonic manifestation. And the, the demons did not like me proclaiming the gospel. They didn't like me offering her a way out. So we find ourselves at the end of the rope for this particular session, this particular mission we were on. And the best thing we can do right now is really just cry out to God and pray. And I want to I wanna ask everybody listening to just say a prayer for this woman. She is tormented. Somewhere deep down inside, she wants deliverance. But certain things have to happen first. There's certain prerequisites, and she's not owning up to those. She's not willing to take the first step. And I don't know if it's because of, of the fear of the demons. I don't know if it's because of the drugs uh, or a mix of the two. But we need an almighty, powerful act of God right now. And that's the only way we're going to see true deliverance here for this woman. And we did get her connected, sort of, uh, with, with some, some of the deliverance ministers. She's not responding very well. Uh, when we start to talk about this over the phone, she gets sick on her stomach. And that was happening. That happened a few times during the deliverance session. She got sick on her stomach and couldn't deal with it. And she kept saying, I'm just sick. I'm just sick. I need to get out of here. So we need, we need to see an act of God. And the only way this is going to happen is if she truly owns up to her, her witchcraft practices, her occult practices, and she repents. So that's where we are right now. And that's kind of bringing the story current. So is there anything else you guys want to add to what's going on? No, just, uh, just like you said, we need to keep praying. I, you know, I've, I've tried to keep the faith through all these, you know, decades with her and that, that, you know, eventually she'll finally come around. I, my prayer is not only, not only for her deliverance, but for the testimony it would bring amongst family members. Uh, my mother is old now. She's like in her, she's 80 and she's not really healthy. I'm not sure how much longer she has, but my prayer is that because my mom has a broken heart. Through all these years, she's continued to love her, but she's been beaten. She's like so so heavily oppressed from all this that it's it's affected her health and everything. So my prayer is that before she passes on, that she'd be able to see her daughter whole. Um, I think Randy pretty much summed it up. Uh, that's exactly where my thoughts are. Just uh, ask that um, you know we get some prayer warriors out there to. Help fight these uh, these demons that uh, has been in our sister for 40 years, and they're not just uh, little toy demons. These are some pretty nasty uh, folks inside her. So, well, I tell you guys, one of the things that really stuck out to me, um, I had gone to North Carolina. I guess it was uh, about two or three months ago. And uh, one of my lifelong friends has a dad who's involved in occult practices, communication with these so-called aliens, and he does the automatic carving. So he'll carve these these just precise statues out of wood, and he does it with a chainsaw. It's unbelievable. Um, But he was very unrepentant, and he was convinced that these were good entities. And there was no battle going on inside of his soul because he was totally submitted to these things. 
And when we, we left kind of in a hurry because things got really crazy, his eyes started to, to milk up and get white. Uh, and he started speaking some kind of a space message from the Pleiades. And he got real violent towards his wife. I mean, things got really out of control. So we left. Uh, he wasn't responding to anything I was saying. But when we left, it was about three days went by. And I was just under some strong spiritual attack. And, you know, I don't know what all Randy's been dealing with since I left. I don't know if he's been faced with some some heavy spiritual warfare. But, um, you know, I was talking to my co-host, Mary Callie, uh, on the phone uh, the day afterwards. And I told her, I said, I'm, I'm just under a lot of spiritual attack right now and I just need prayer. Uh, because when we get done going face to face with these things, literally, we're putting ourselves on the front line when we're dealing with this. And and I was under some very strange types of attacks. I can't even explain them. They were very strange, far stranger than what I experienced on the way over there. But um, it's very similar to what I experienced when I went to North Carolina. When I left, when it, when it was all said and done, the demon, uh, you know, multiple demonic attacks were coming upon me. So um, we, we definitely need people to be praying, not just for me, not just for Randy and Doug, but, uh, you know, all of us together because we're fighting this battle together. And we're just, we want to see total repentance take place here. So, you know, please keep us all in your prayers, everybody. This is one of those situations that can only be dealt with at this point. We've got to pray. We've got to fast. And, uh, I believe that that's going to be the first step in getting this thing dealt with. Yeah. Another thing too is that, uh, she had been moved to another location shortly after we, the, the day after, I think, in fact, we left, uh, we left her. She's been, she was moved to another location, and I got the new phone number, and I called her and tried to talk to her, and she said she wasn't feeling well, didn't want to talk. Then to come out, you know, the day after that or, the, or two days after that, uh, I got a, a phone call that she had left, and she had been gone for two or three days. And so she's back on the streets again, so we really need to pray for her protection because the demons are, like like I said before, they've threatened to kill her, so she's 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 in need of a lot of prayer and just Pray for for God to send His angels around her to protect her because I'm I'm very fearful of her life. I totally understand, and I guarantee you we've got prayer warriors out there who are listening tonight, and they're going to jump right on this. And folks, we appreciate it. We appreciate your prayers because without your prayers, it's scary to think. I, I can't even tell you how many situations I've been in, and I knew people were praying for me, and I got through the situation, and then I find out. There was some 30, 40 people praying for me. I got emails and they said, hey, just wanted you to know we were praying. We were praying. So we definitely need all that that we can get. Um, I'm very grateful that God has connected me with you guys. And uh, I can't thank you guys enough for coming on the fourth watch to talk about these types of things. Uh, this stuff is very close to your hearts. This is this is your lives, your family, your your childhood. Your I mean, th- this is th- these are hard things to talk about. So I can't thank you enough for being bold enough to take a step out to talk about these things. And what happens is people hear this and it rings so uh, so close to their hearts because many people have family members that are going through very similar things. And it's my prayer that if anyone's listening right now and you've been on the fence about accepting the reality of what's going on in your life or in your family members' lives, that you will now know without a shadow of a doubt that this is demonic. So I just I really hope that this is ministered to some people listening tonight and that they've been awakened now to the reality that many things that they're dealing with with family members, it's not just a drug addiction. It's not just alcohol. It's not just a porn addiction. They're dealing with demonic attachments and demonic oppression and uh, at the very uh, most extreme case, demonic possession. So 
thank you guys again for coming on the fourth watch. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you guys and I'm looking forward to following up. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to follow up with this and, uh, share with everyone that, that your sister has been truly delivered. Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. Amen. Thank you. I hope you guys have a blessed night and I look forward to talking with you guys later. Okay. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. Bye-bye. One thing that we have to think about in all of this is that sin is the beginning of demonic behavior. Sin is the beginning of demonic oppression. And sin is the beginning of demonic possession. Perpetual unrepentant sinful lifestyles and occult practices unfortunately lead people into demonic possession. And it's something that we should never take lightly, friends. But thinking about sin brings me into tonight's Bible study segment. I want to start out tonight by taking you all to Matthew chapter 5 verse 4. This is one of those powerful verses that can have several applications. Jesus said this, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I want to break this down in a way that it relates to sin and our spiritual lives. You see, sin is a serious issue with God. He never winks at it or takes it lightly. God never looks the other way. But Satan, on the other hand, desires to desensitize Christians to the heinousness of sin. He wants you to stop mourning over sin and start enjoying it. Some of you listening right now may think this is impossible. But unfortunately, many who once thought it to be impossible have fallen prey to the power of sin. And it usually doesn't happen all at once or overnight. In fact, the sin process can be slow and subtle, almost imperceptible, but the results are always tragic. So how can you remain alert to the dangers of sin and protect yourself from compromise? Well, first of all, you have to be aware of your sin. David said this, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Psalms 51 verse 3. We have to own up to our sins and we have to take responsibility and recognize that they are sins and we are guilty of them. We can't justify sin in any shape or form. You see, without owning up to our sin, there's no chance of true repentance. And that's one of the issues that we faced with the woman from tonight's show. But we then get to Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah cried out, Woe is me! For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5. Isaiah recognized his sinful nature, and the sinful nature of his people, or his community, and he confessed it upon recognizing it. But then we get to the apostle Peter. Peter said to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Luke chapter 5 verse 8. Then we see Paul called himself the chief of sinners in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. All of these men were followers of Jesus Christ Yeshua. They were men of a sinful nature, just like you and I. But these men shared a common awareness of their own sinfulness, and it drove them to God for forgiveness and cleansing. Now secondly, to remain alert to the dangers of sin, You must always remember the significance of the cross. You must always remember the significance of the cross. If you allow a pattern of sin to develop in your life, you've forgotten the enormous price that Christ paid to free you from its bondage. 
Now thirdly, you must realize the effect that sin has on others. This is huge. The psalmist said this, Rivers of waters run down mine eyes, because they keep not the law. Psalm 119 verse 136. So here we see the psalmist, and he was sincerely crying out over the sin of others. It broke his heart that so many people were living in sin against the Lord. Now, this is in direct opposition to the modern day teachings that we have. Many of these teachings say that we shouldn't worry about other people's sin. Don't even bat an eye to it. You see, popular pastors and speakers alike have made a big deal out of not worrying about the spiritual conditions of others. And that's just not biblical. It seems like everyone's favorite verse is a perversion of judge not lest ye be judged. But we see that the people of God are very concerned about sin in the scripture. And not just about sin in their own lives, but as well as the sins in the lives of others. We also see that Jesus mourned over Jerusalem for their unbelief. Jesus cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stone them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Matthew 23:37. That paints such a clear picture, friends, of God's love for us. Yeshua declared that he would gather us up in safety, just like a hen gathers her young under her wings. But people aren't willing to come into the grace of God, and that is a direct effect of sin and pride. So biblically speaking, your heart should ache for those who are enslaved to sin. I want you just to ask yourself right now, does your heart ache for those who are enslaved to sin? Now finally, to remain alert to the dangers of sin, you must eliminate anything that hinders your sensitivity to sin. Some of these things are deliberately sinning, rejecting God's forgiveness, being proud, presuming on God's grace, or taking sin lightly. You also need to separate yourself from various forms of sinful conditioning, such as certain types of media and entertainment. Half of the time we don't even realize that movies or TV shows and music that we're listening to is desensitizing us to sinful lifestyles. Such things will quickly dull your spiritual senses and give Satan the opportunity to lead you into greater sin. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, we must strive to be God's people living in a faithful manner that is pleasing unto Him. Understanding our sin and then facing it is imperative in the repenting process. It's time we stop making excuses and dulling our spiritual senses and actively begin chasing after the things that will encourage our walks and allow us to be free in Jesus Christ Yeshua. And when we're free in Jesus Christ Yeshua, we can no longer be bound in the bonds of this sinful world. When we find ourselves mourning over our sin and mourning over the sins of others, we are blessed and we are comforted by Christ and we're able to understand and experience His grace like never before. I want to encourage you all just to take a moment and thank God that He brings comfort and happiness to those who mourn over sin. Ask Him to guard your heart from anything that will diminish your sensitivity to the awfulness of sin. 
as you grow each day in the knowledge and the saving grace of Jesus Christ Yeshua. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and you haven't accepted His holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, it's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of His Word. It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching, friends. And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and His once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but He's also rich in mercy. And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, He's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death, but tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But as it says in Romans 6.23, only through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ Yeshua. I'm so thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, a living sacrifice, and shed His sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on Him tonight. That's the most important part of the show and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4, T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the Fourth Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the Fourth Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. 
If the fourth watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network.